pray and we'll jump right in. Lord, we love you. We're grateful for another day to worship you and to breathe oxygen. We take it for granted. Apart from you, we have nothing. But in, in you, we believe and we confess we have all that we need for life. Life and godliness. It's all found in you, Jesus. So show us who you are so we can follow you better. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, um, you know, when you travel, you realize every church has different sets of priorities. We all have different priorities. Just like every family, whether you write it down or not, you have your own set of priorities. Now, for us, it's pretty clear. We have like a love for children and young people. We just, we do. Why? You're very active and you keep producing more kids. So like there's just every week it's like, oh, there's another newborn there and met little Noah sitting in the back just a few weeks old there. And so we have a love for kids here. And if you're looking for a church, you just need to know we prioritize young. We think about the young ones and we love them. And, and that's cool, but it's not just our own kids. For, for some reason, God's given us a love for children in our community. Children that maybe don't have the advantages that you and your kids have. You know, two of our four pastors have adopted uh, and brought young ones into their home. That says something about just where we lean as a church. We're very involved with the local DHS and foster care. We have one of our communities here that sponsors, and I encourage you to get involved in, if you're looking for something to do, uh, Foster Parents Night Out. It's an opportunity to serve foster parents once a month, provide a little respite, an evening out for a date or a flat-out nap. <laughs> and, and you go through the certification and you just watch their biological and their foster kids so that they get a break. And we, we do that for a reason. Why do we have such a deep abiding passion for kids? I think it comes out of the overflow of reading what God has done. So why don't we just pick up where we left off last week, Romans 8, and we'll start in verse 14. Why do we have a passion to see every young person given a chance to love, encounter, follow Jesus? Look at verse 14 of Romans 8. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the, and there's this phrase, children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Holy Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we also share in his glory. We want to look at these verses and more. What does it mean to live as a child of God? Four things I want you to see this morning, and I encourage you to write them down and think about, about them because it's leaning and leading us towards Easter where we celebrate next Sunday the great event that le leads towards our adoption. Four things that we're going to see here in Romans 8 that will be helpful as you grow as a Jesus follower. The first thing is this. We are adopted into God's family. Why do we have a love for kids? Why do we have a love for young people? Why do we have a love for students, whether middle school or high school or college? 
it's because we have experienced adoption. Now, maybe that's not your, like, biological or historical story. Uh, but in a real sense, if you're a Jesus follower, you have experienced adoption. Look at verse 14 again. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. In other words, I didn't make life in God happen. You didn't make it happen. This church did not make your life in God happen. How did you and I enter into God's family? Well, we read it. It is God to the Holy Spirit who leads us towards adoption. So apart from God, you don't know God. Now, that seems so basic, but it's a real important to remember. The reason we're driven to do things in God's name is we have experienced, we've received God's love and God's adoption. Now, when it says those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God, if you read it in English, you could actually misunderstand the point. He's not saying if you're led by the Spirit, that is, if you follow what the Spirit says, if you obey the Spirit's voice, if you follow the Spirit's directions. He's not saying, hey, if you do this, then you can call yourself a child of God. But if you don't follow the Spirit's leading in all things, you can't. No, that's not what he's saying. He's making a statement of fact. In other words, if you have the Holy Spirit, fact, that is proof you have been adopted. So this is not a matter of if I do this, then I'm allowed to call myself a child of God. No, if God gives you his spirit, it shows you are in God's family. Now, why adoption? Remember, Paul hasn't met these people. They've already started following Jesus, and he's trying to explain what that means. So Paul, like we do, is trying to grab like normal language to explain something that's extraordinary. God adopting you, try to fully explain that. God bringing you into his family? How do, I, how do I put words? So he uses the word adoption. Here's why. Jews in the first century and before didn't practice legal adoption. So Paul was born and raised a Jew. But he's also a Roman citizen and he's writing to people in the capital city. It's like he's writing to people in D.C. for our language. And if you're writing to people in D.C., you talk about gridlock and legislation, right? You talk in terms that make sense to them. So adoption was a common legal proceeding in the first century because if you were wealthy, you had to do something with your wealth. If you didn't have a biological heir, you would adopt someone in your family because your money's going somewhere and you want it to go to someone that you know. So he uses what people would understand and say, okay, in Roman culture, if you're married or single and don't produce an heir, you Adopt someone. It could, have been, could be a baby. could be a biological relative. It could be someone that you know at work. could be an adult. You legally bring them into your family. Now, what happens when you adopt someone? When you go through the proceedings, every financial obligation that person has is paid off. If that young person, you're going to adopt them in your family, you being the, the one who's bringing them in, you pay off all of their bills. I want to be adopted. This is amazing. You take on their family name. And in the moment that it goes through their court system, you are now the legal heir to everything that your benefactor, your now dad, owns and has. 
in a moment, your life changes, in this case, for the good. And so he sees that in the culture and says, oh my goodness, that is small, but I can compare that to you encountering Jesus Christ. What does it mean? Now he says in verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you a slave so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to, and catch this phrase, sonship. Now, ladies, obviously, uh, we're not where we should be. So still in today's culture, you work the same job. You probably work harder, and it wouldn't be surprising if you get paid less. I'm not saying this is right and good. I'm saying that's the world that we live in. Things are getting better. But thank God you didn't live in the first century. You couldn't be adopted. All rights went male. Father to son. The firstborn son gets it all. So you have a daughter, and then you have a son. Your eldest son gets it all. That was their culture. And so this, is a, this isn't the main point, but this is a real piece of good news. When Paul says you're adopted, he's speaking to men and women in the church. If they would read this, they would say, oh, great, well, that's not for me. But Paul puts a twist on it that they would definitely pick up on Men and women are adopted to sonship. In other words, what God has done, he's done equally for men and women, young and old, firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn, 15th born, biological, adopted, doesn't make a difference. You and I all have our obligations paid for. You and I all have our name changed. You and I all become heirs so we could put it this way, sons and daughters of God. But he says adoption to sonship because the rights were only for the male. But he says to men and women. This is such good news. And no wonder people wanted to kill Paul. No joke. Because he's saying what God has done in Jesus is a game changer. Okay, so we, we looked at adoption and sonship. Now, what does that mean, though? I want to spend more time thinking about, all right, if you and I, if we follow Jesus and we've been adopted, what does that mean? Second thing, I want you to write it down. It means we are heirs of God's inheritance. Adoption is a word that means something happens to you in light of it, right? So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings every Jesus follower the rights and privileges of being a child of God, hear this, now, it's not future, it's not like life is hard but one day I get God. No, now, the moment you're adopted, you become someone with an inheritance. Whatever the Father has goes to you in good time. Now, we'll, we'll, we'll tease that out a little later, but while Dad's alive, you just get a part of it, right? You get to live in his house, you get to eat his food, you get to wear his clothes, but in time it's passed over to you. Now, when I think inheritance, I, I immediately think money, estate, and I don't want you to get lost in the financial benefit. If I know God, I get more money? Isn't that exciting? Well, no, 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 don't miss the point. I think what Paul's saying here is, is more subtle and actually more profound. It means a couple things. It means we're not afraid. Look at verse 15 again. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. You see, when I'm apart from God, I'm wondering, am I on God's side? Am I not? If I don't know where I'm at and God is, where do I stand? Now that I'm adopted, 
No matter where I go, I am not afraid because I belong to the Father and the Father belongs to me. Let me just put it this way. How do you talk to God and how do you relate to him? Well, it could be like you relate to me. If we don't know each other really well, how, how quick are you going to be to ask me for something? I'll be honest, in, in this church, there aren't a lot of people who ask me for anything. And finances are low. I have not had many people come and say, hey, hey, Jose, I'm struggling. I've got this bill, but can you pay it? You don't know me that well or you're afraid of me? I don't know. I'm a nice guy. Um, but I don't have that many people, after today I will, but I don't have that many people asking me, could you share some of your goodies with me, right? But my kids relate to me differently than you do. We live in the same house and we hang out and we go, and they know exactly what I have. And so my kids have no problem saying, Dad, can I have that? Well, that, well I'm eating that, I know, but it looks good and... Can, can I have that last bite? Or, hey, you ordered that and I ordered this, but I want, can we go back and get? They have no problem. We have like magazine catalogs come and they have no problem looking through. My daughter has no problem circling and saying, Dad, I have no problem. She has no problem with that. Here's why. Because they know my heart for them is good. And they know that I love them. And I'm not, I'm not the perfect dad. I don't want to give that kind of like false front. But they know my heart for them is to be generous and kind and caring and loving. And I want, I want them to be responsible so we teach hard work. I don't want them to be lazy. But my posture towards them is good. And when you have that kind of confidence, maybe, and I know we're, we're going on tough Subjects here, because some of you had moms or dads. Some of you didn't have either or only one. And maybe their posture towards you and the way they acted towards you wasn't kind and good and loving. But you just need to know that God's posture towards you, because you've embraced the work of his son, he's given you his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit is now letting you know you don't have to be afraid to come to God. You don't... God, if you, I know I deserve, but will you? No, it's like, Dad, I know you have, and I know you love, and I know you're good. Here's where I'm at, really. It doesn't mean that we go asking just for our own material good, just to be spoiled brats. But it does mean I come to the Father for all things. Second thing is we're close. What does it mean to be adopted the inheritance is about proximity. I was a stranger. I was on the outside. But the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And he, he just uses an Aramaic term, a local language term, which would be like dad. It's not just, you know, some of you may have had the father or mother, like call me sir. Uh, and there's nothing, if that's your family mojo, fantastic, no, no problem. But, but Paul says, no, when you come to the Father, you come like a little kid running up to Dad saying, Daddy, you're that close with God. She didn't know that adoption means something. It means that you're brought into God's family and with that is an inheritance 
where, where I can come to him with anything and I'm not far. It's not like I'm, God, where are you? We're in the same house, so to speak. He is close and I can call him dad. And so the third thing I want us to see that has to do with our inheritance is that we're safe. Verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are now God's children. We're, we're safe. Like, we're in. And, and maybe it doesn't feel like that between you and God, but you just need to know that's the real picture and that is true of you. And how do we know this? Again and again and again, Paul says, God himself brings about your adoption. It's his spirit that testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. So God does it. And then God can retrain us to understand God for who he is. So I'm coming to God with all of my baggage, and so are you. So there are things I need to unlearn. There are patterns I need to relearn. And, and Paul wants you to know, and God wants you to know, you're safe. Because you're in him, your life, your now and your future is safe. I'm not saying that you don't go through stuff, but I'm saying if you belong to God and God belongs to you, that's a game changer. And we need to remember that. So adoption is God's way of bringing us back to the way life he planned from the beginning. I don't have time, but everything you see in Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4, God makes everything, it's good, creates Adam and Eve, they're good, brings them together, it's beautifully good, and they live as God's family. So God walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. God is with them, no barrier. They sin, what's the first thing they, they do? They hide. Why? They recognize that they have not kept the family value. They've, they've walked away from God. And, and, and the rest of Genesis is a story of men and women like us continuing the pattern of we know that God is, we know that God loves, but yet we do our own thing. And then it pushes us. It's not that God's pushing us away. It's we hide. God's not running from you. You and I are the ones that are running from God, and he's the one pursuing us. And that's what adoption is about. It's about the person with wealth looking for the person without. So God's adoption is about him finding you in your mess, in your place, in your life, and saying, I want you in. You love that much. So it, adoption is about God Taking care of Genesis is one, two, three, four, and following. We broke the family apart. We rebelled. But God in his love is putting us back. And that's a beautiful thing. And by the way, that is what Easter is all about. It's about God bringing life to dead things and dead people. More on that next week. Uh, now, before I move on, one last little point here. Because he says, those who have the Spirit are the children of God. I, I want to make a statement and then explain, but I just want to be super clear. We're all God's creation, but we're all not God's children. And I'm not, I'm not making that up. I'm just reading the text. Those who have the Spirit are adopted. Those who have the Spirit, it gives witness to their spirit that they are children of God. So that means those 
without the Spirit are not. Now, as offensive as this may sound, and I'm not here to offend, but I'm here to make clear. As offensive as it sounds, there's a, a, a kind of a popular way that says, well, we're all God's children, which, which means, rightfully so, when someone says that, that we're all the same, right? We're all created. We're all human. And in that sense, if that's what you mean, it's kind of true, but not exactly precisely true. Does it mean that everyone matters? Absolutely yes. Does it mean everyone's loved? Absolutely yes. But I just want to be super duper clear. Those who receive God's love in Jesus get God's presence and are adopted into God's family. And so we are all God's creation, equally loved, equally valuable, important. And, we, and if, if you walk away saying, like, man, I'm awesome, and those who don't follow Jesus aren't, you definitely missed the point. Because when you're adopted, you have nothing to brag about. You came in with nothing but bills. The loving one brought you in. So adoption is a place where we are humbled and say, man, I've been included in God's family. And adoption ought to be a motivation for you and I to go and share the good news with people. Because if I've experienced this life and I didn't deserve it, and I've been given this grace and I, I didn't deserve it, what about other people who are created, loved, and Jesus came to seek and to rescue? They've not yet been adopted. Only Jesus' followers have the right to claim to be called sons and daughters of God. This isn't according to me. This is according to Scripture, which doesn't mean people aren't loved, but it means we need to tell people of God's love. Because there's a real inheritance for them, and there's a real change for them, but it only comes in Jesus. And that's why Easter isn't just a holiday. It's the reminder of Jesus' work to bring about my freedom. Now, okay, I'm adopted, which means I get an inheritance, which means life is pain-free. Has that been your Christian experience? Yeah, no. So what do we do? Look, well, we have to keep reading. Verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. If, and this is the big if, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Okay. The third thing I want you to write down because it's just as important as one and two. One and two sound great. But three is important as well. We follow Jesus in his suffering and his glory. In other words, being adopted into God's family doesn't mean that life is perfect. And this is why some get confused and some end up abandoning their faith and having a, I would say, a distorted view of God. Because they're like, I, I went and I tried and I did, but look at what happened to me. If God is so loving, then why? What do we do about pain and suffering? Well, we remember that we are in union with Jesus. That's a fancy theological way of saying is that we are connected to Jesus at the deepest level. So whatever is true of Jesus is now true of you. Now, let me just ask you about Jesus' life. Have you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Was Jesus' life easy? Yes or no? Was Jesus falsely accused? Yes or no? 
Of course he was. And so Jesus really, he really suffered in light of what is to come. Jesus knew there would be suffering, but it was worth it because glory, which is a code word for God's presence. God's presence, which is, that's glory. You want to know what the best in all the universe is? It's where God is. Wherever God is, that's glory. And so Jesus endures suffering knowing there's going to be God's presence, not just for himself, but for you. He is willing to suffer so that in the end, we're included in glory. So this is where we need to remind ourselves pain, suffering, death is not the end for the Jesus follower. We're living in God's kingdom now. That is God's rule, where God rules. We're living in that right now. Wherever you are, God's family is. Because you're a child of God. And so God's rule is now happening in your world and in my world. But it's not happening in everyone's world. And we know with all, just read the headlines any day, you know this world is still filled with chaos. So what do we remind ourselves of? We partner and we join Jesus in suffering and in glory. Now this may sound confusing. I'm going to try to not confuse you. But what, what has happened in Jesus is already happening now, but not yet happening in full. So Jesus goes to the cross, rises again, and he gives life to all those who follow him. That's happening now. But Jesus himself said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, John 14. And if I go, I will come back so that you will be with me. And so Jesus is giving life to you and I now. We're experiencing it now. But Jesus' promise has not yet happened in full. And this is why we have to wrestle with suffering and glory. To those who are adopted, remember I said, as long as dad's around, you have his inheritance, but not the full thing, right? But, but the, the one who's been adopted knows one day the full inheritance will come to you. So as a child, I have some of it now, but in the future, I have more because I'm adopted. And in the same way, we follow the pattern of Jesus. Jesus has done the work. Now I am experiencing life now. But is this all to life? No. There's the full life. When Jesus returns, he says he's going to make all things new, including me and you. So when Jesus dies and rises again, he rises again, but to a new kind of humanity. You read the end of the Gospels, Jesus rises up and he eats, yes or no? He eats bread, he eats fish, he's alive. He also walks through walls. He ascends, he leaves planet Earth and goes to the Father, wherever that is. Jesus' life is beyond our life right now. And, and that's glory. You see, the future for the adopted sons and daughters of God is glory. It's life with God where sin and suffering and pain and evil is no more. My friends, that's your future. So in light of that, look at verses 18 all the way down to 23. Let's just read them. How do we live as we wait 
for all that God has in store. How do we live now? Verse 18. I consider that our present suffering are not worthy, are worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed, looking towards the future, in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. I know this is a lot, but I want you to read the punchline. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, pause, were adopted. Jesus is in full glory. We have the first fruits of that. God has come to live with us. So it's not full like Jesus is. We're not walking through walls. We're not living in this eternal body. But we get a taste of it. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. All right. I know this is a lot, but let me just try to make it clear. The fourth thing I want you to write down, what do we do in light of if I'm adopted, if I have an inheritance, if I join Jesus, both in his sufferings, I'm a real human living in a real world, but and future glory, what do we do now? Number four, we are partners with God in his kingdom work. What do I do now? I groan. Creation groans. The spirit groans. See, we groan for what's to come. We know we've had a taste. Something within us says God is good and this world is in trouble. But, but something within us is saying there is hope in the future. So we long for what's to come. I don't know if you know Steve and Aubrey. Tate, Steve plays drums in our band and Aubrey sings. They had their first daughter, Emery June, on March 31st. I haven't met her yet. Uh, I've been gone, but I'm dying to go over to their house and just bring them food as an escape to get in the door and hold their cute baby. But it, it's, a, it's a beautiful, hard process. Paul, again, he's using human language to try to explain this. And so he talks about this groaning and birth pains. Uh, birth and the child coming into the world is a beautiful thing. But I've watched as, as my wife was pregnant with two and it was easier for me, much easier for me. Although I'm paying for orthodontia now, so I don't know who had the bigger pain. But the process is beautiful and hard. And so you watch as a woman is growing and literally stretching. And, and there are periods of joy. And then there's like, now, now. And so is it worth it? Yeah, but the process is filled with suffering and glory. So having watched uh, my own two kids be born and seeing babies come into the family, it's a reminder that the process of life has pain and joy, suffering and glory. So we partner with God like a woman is partnering with God in the bringing about of life. You and I, as adopted sons and daughters, we work with God on what he wants to do in this world. Verse 18 again. 
I consider our present sufferings aren't worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Just think about expecting parents. I don't want to overstretch the metaphor, but the baby inside is alive. Forget about your theological or philosophical view of life. Just assume I'm right, <laughs> even if you don't agree. The baby is alive, but is that the only state of life that that baby will experience? No. There will be delivery day, and they will experience life. Now, in my understanding, that baby is alive, and I know that for many reasons. But the baby is alive, but that is one way of life. It's going to come into a new way of life. And so the same thing, again, without overworking the metaphor, you are alive in God right now. But is this the only state of life you'll experience? No. What Paul is saying is we take our momentary and very real periods of suffering and pain and we compare it to glory. We compare what's going on now to eternity. We compare the mixed bag of I have the spirit, I have life, I am adopted, but I'm living in a real broken situation. I have my own brokenness as well. And I look to the future and I realize that God is pushing me towards something and I will experience a new life. So even creation gets this. Look at verse 22 again. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pain of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption. We, we want this future life, the redemption of our bodies. That's Paul's code word for resurrection that is to come. So again, not to confuse you, but just to let you know, Jesus experienced death and the resurrection. He, he was raised to a new life. Now, you and I, were adopted now and are promised future resurrection. One day when you die, you'll be with the Lord and I will be with the Lord. And at the end of time, there will be the full resurrection and you and I will be given a renewed humanity. We will be very much alive as we are now, but it will be different. So creation is longing for that. He's like, even the earth knows it's fractured. Even creation gets it. And so our adoption isn't the end of the story. It's the middle. We're getting a taste of the inheritance that's to come. So, so how do we move forward? Well, I think the answer is we live with hope and patience as we look forward to resurrection. Easter is the reminder, not of historical fact, it's the reminder of our future. Jesus raised to life, you and I will be raised to life. And so now there are periods of pain and agony and suffering. They're very real. I don't want to make light, but you can live with hope in the middle of it. You can live with joy in the middle of it. You can patiently endure it because at the end, for God's family, there is resurrection. That's why in verses 24, and we'll kind of finish this out. For in this hope, verse 24, in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. 
God knows your suffering. And God knows your struggle. And I need you to be reminded, although it doesn't seem this way, God is actually there in the middle. God, you don't know what I'm going through. And he's like, I've given you myself. The spirit groans because you and I are awaiting the end of this, but we're not there yet. So creation gets it, and the spirit is groaning. You are with God in suffering. And God is with you in suffering. Sometimes I forget it. That's why we need to be reminded we live with hope in light of what Jesus has done. So verse 26, in the same way, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know how we ought to pray or what we ought to pray for, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Verse 27, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Let me pull this together. Creation is groaning, verse 22. We're groaning, verse 23. The Holy Spirit is groaning, verse 26. That's what I mean. We partner with God in his kingdom work. We feel it. God feels it. Creation feels it. It means that to be adopted, you know, if I was adopted in the first century or adopted today, I pick up the family business, right? Whatever that family I'm brought into, I'm now brought into all of it. And so right now, God is working towards bringing life to dead things. God right now is working towards bringing relief to suffering and an end to evil. God is not on the sideline saying, when am I going to flush this down the toilet? God is working. How do I know this? Jesus went about doing good. Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. Jesus loved. Jesus healed. Jesus brought dead people literally back to life. That's God's kingdom agenda. And guess what? I get to join in that. It means when we see injustice, we groan, just like God does. But we don't just groan. We step in to bring healing. You see, you and I are now God's kids. We're adopted. And if God, the Father, and God, the Son, and God, the Spirit, are working to bring healing, that's where I step in. You and I are the church, and we step in to bring real healing to real people's lives. What am I saying? I think two outcomes that ought to push us forward this week. There are many more, but I just want to narrow it down to two. We live and share the good news with everyone. Everyone is broken in some way, including us. But we, we live to live it. That is, we live like God's kids and we share it. We're not just waiting, God, someday get me out of this mess. No, we're actively involved in God's work in God's kingdom. So we don't relegate our faith to Sundays. I'm not a Sunday Christian. We don't relegate our faith to this building. We live all of life in light of resurrection. I am an adopted child. I belong to the king. And I am on his agenda. And I am doing his work. I am part of God's story. And so are you. 
You don't need to be on a church staff to do Jesus' work. As a matter of fact, you're doing more Jesus' work than I am. Because you're where brokenness is. The second I say I'm a pastor of a church, whoop, wall goes up and conversation stops. But you're an electrician or a nurse or a teacher or a business person. And you are God's kingdom children in that. The second thing is, and this is where we need to grow, we need to embrace the presence of God's Holy Spirit. You see, the Spirit is praying in our weakness. Verse 28, in the same way the Spirit helps us where we're weak. We don't know what to pray for. The Spirit is interceding with groaning. The will of God is being prayed in and through your life by God himself. In other words, you don't have to be a professional and get it right. You just need to come to dad in a way that makes sense to you and say, here I am and I want to be changed by you and I want to be useful to you. I want to live the gospel. I want to share the gospel. And I want to grow in what it means to walk in the Holy Spirit. All right, full circle, you're adopted. Which means when I say you're walking and doing kingdom work, I'm never implying you're doing it by yourself. You have brothers and sisters. Just do me a favor. Look to the left and to the right. Just physically look. Look, these are your brothers and sisters. Many of them. Maybe not all. Maybe some have yet to embrace God's gift. They are your family. And so we live this out together, my friends. We live it out. So what we're going to do is now we're going to step into that. In our response and singing, we're going to sing together. Because we're the family of God and we want to grow in hearing the Spirit speak to us and then sharing words that are guided by God Himself. And then we're going to go to the bread and cup and we're going to take it together because it's our way of reminding ourselves we're in this as one family. And then tonight, this isn't a guilt trip, but will you please join the larger family? We're just a church. But we belong to the bigger church here in the city and we want to call on God. It's an hour and a half to call on God together in worship and prayer that especially this season, that people hear the good news and find life in Jesus. That's why we want to come together. And I invite you to do that tonight at 6. Why don't we do it by standing now and let's just invite the presence of God's Spirit to stir us towards words that are in touch with the heart of God. Holy Spirit, we are, we are filled with your presence and yet we feel like we're just getting started. We don't know what you want. We don't know what to do. And sometimes we get caught up in our own rebellion or neglect. But Holy Spirit of God, thank you for reminding us this morning that we belong to Jesus. And Jesus is resurrection and life. And we're in him. And that's my future. Now, Holy Spirit of God, will you speak through us, your kids, as we speak to one another in songs, in psalms, in spiritual words. Would you now work through us to encourage, to challenge, to confirm, to redirect. God, will you use us to speak to us, we pray, as we worship you now in your name. Well, let's sing and then we'll guide you as we take the bread and cup together in a few minutes.